Okay, we are going to be looking today at the trials that Jesus went through, but before I start on that, I want to cover Peter's denial. And, and this is where, where Peter had denied the Lord. And if you look back in Matthew, so, so we're actually going to be reading in Matthew 26, and if you look back at a, at a portion we already covered in Matthew 26, verse 34, it says, Truly I say to you that this very night, before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. This very night, before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And in Matthew, same chapter, verse, uh, chapter 26, verse 69, Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him and said, You too were with Jesus, the Galilean. But he denied it before them, saying, I don't know what you're talking about. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another servant girl saw him and said to those who were there, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth, and he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. A little later, bystanders came up and said to Peter, Surely you too were one of them. For, e- for even the way that you talk gives you away. <clears throat> then he began to curse and swear, I do not know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word which Jesus had said, Before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Now, look, look over in Mark. Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, verse 30. Mark chapter 14, verse 30, Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, that this very night, before a rooster crows twice, you will yourself deny me three times. And then in in verse 75 of the same chapter, Matthew chapter 14, verse 75, um, I'm sorry, there is no 75, is there? Uh, Verse 72, Immediately a rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus had made the remark to him, before a rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Now, people say, okay, here's a mistake in the Bible. Trust me, it's not a mistake in the Bible. I mean, people have studied this book for thousands of years, and the book is right. If there's a problem, it's because of our sophomoric understanding of the way things are. So in in one book it says, before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And then in Mark it says, before a rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Those two statements are perfectly consistent with one another. There were two roosters crowing, but Jesus says the first time, what was recorded before a rooster crows, and it says right after Peter denied the Lord his third time, a rooster crowed. And Jesus said, before a rooster crows. Let me give you an example. Shireen tells me sometimes, bring home the extra donuts from the class from the Sunday class, we'll serve them for lunch, for dessert. Okay, so, um, so she leaves a little bit earlier, and I'm, I'm getting ready to go home, leaving this place, and I look around for the extra donuts, and I see, I don't see any extra donuts. You know, there were supposed to be a bunch of extra donuts, and I don't see any. And so, I go out to the car, and I start the car, I'm ready to drive home, and I think, I'd better go back and just check again, see if there were any donuts around. So I go back in, I come back in here, and I look around for the donuts. And I still don't see them, and I go home. And as soon as I walk in, Shireen says, where's the donuts? I said, I looked around for the donuts, and I didn't see any. 
And about five minutes later, she says to me, you sure there weren't any donuts? And I said, and I say, I looked around twice for the donuts and I didn't see any. Now, would she say to me, well, before you told me you looked around and now you told me you looked around twice. So I know you're lying. Well, yes, I did look twice, but for me to say I looked around and I didn't find any is perfectly consistent with what I actually did. I just wasn't specifying the number. And for me to come back the second time and say I looked around twice is perfectly consistent with my first statement. I just didn't specify how many times. You see what I mean? It is statements like this that actually lead to the authenticity of the text. If the text were perfectly identical, you, you know what scholars say. They say there's been collusion and it's a corrupt word. But they look at this, this is perfectly consistent. So to the novice, what looks like falsification, actually to the experience, looks like exactly how it would be re reported by two different people. Because if it were recorded exactly, every word between the four Gospels, you'd know that it's a false document. So, look over in, uh, uh, in Luke chapter 22. talks about the same thing in Luke chapter 22, reading from verse 61. We'll read it from verse 60. Luke chapter 22, verse 60. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you're talking about. Immediately, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word the Lord had told him. Before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. Just as Peter was denying the Lord the third time, the rooster crows and Jesus' eyes. So Jesus is in this, this, uh, this courtyard there by the high priest. And he's inside and Peter is standing out in the courtyard it, and there's a doorway there that happens to be open. And just as Jesus is denying the Lord for the third time, the Lord is looking right at him. He gets a clear shot across this courtyard from inside, right through the courtyard, right at Peter. And looking right at him as Peter is denying the Lord. And in fact, if you look at this, there's an article that, in uh, 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 a grammatical article that, that talks about this Greek text, that when he's cursing... He's actually cursing an object. He was probably even cursing Jesus to protect himself. So there's this cursing that's going on that, take, that takes place during this. And right then, Jesus looks right at him. Right during this, this event, Jesus looks at him. Imagine what is now going through Peter's mind. There's, there's three seats right up here. Um, so, so uh, Jesus is looking right at him, and it says that in verse 62 of Luke 22, and he went out and he wept bitterly. Peter denied the Lord three times, the very same night that he said to the Lord, I will die for you. And we know he was willing to die for Jesus because he had pulled out that sword and sliced off the guy's ear, which was an act that says... You know, I'm going to die here because he was against 600 men with swords and spears when he did that. And had Jesus not stopped the event, remember, Jesus was very much in control. Had Jesus not stopped it, Peter would have been killed. 
But all of a sudden, Peter turns. And Peter fled from the Lord, and then he denied the Lord three times with his words, so much so that he's even cursing Jesus by the end. You know, we get to places in our lives and we wonder, I would never do that. And then we go through times in our life where we stumble and we fall and we were like, I can't believe I have done that. Nothing will amaze me with my life. I have stumbled so many times that it doesn't amaze me anymore. It's like par for the course with my life. You know, I get these feelings like, I, I, you know, I won't do this again and boom, I do it again. This is the nature of human beings, and Peter is weeping bitterly. And then look what happens. If you look at, back in, in, in Mark, Mark chapter 16, Mark chapter 16, verse 7, when the angels are standing outside the grave, they give a message. So let's pick it up, Mark 16, verse 5. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, do not be amazed. You, do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who has, risen, who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, he is in the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Peter didn't even feel like a disciple anymore. And so the angel at the tomb tells the women, go tell his disciples and Peter, go to Galilee and wait for Jesus. Look what Jesus does. He tells these angels as he's leaving this tomb, he says, tell the ladies when they come to tell the disciples to go and meet me in Galilee and say specifically, I want Peter there too. Look what God does in the moment of Peter's greatest torment. God sends a message through an angel. I want Peter specifically. This is the nature of human existence with Jesus. It is that we walk with him, we stumble, and he's standing right there. And he's saying, get up, let's go on, get up. And we're like, no, 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 I'm just too terrible, I can't. He says, Get up. I'm calling you your name specifically. Get up. Let's walk together. You know, you look at a man. There, there, there was this man. It was really, really an amazing guy. And, and I hadn't planned on telling this story about this guy, but um, I'll see if I can remember the details. So, um, it, was, it was here in this class. So, in this, in this Sunday school class, I knew this guy was coming. And I didn't know exactly what to tell the class about this guy, but this guy had a, a pretty tough past, and he was going to come and be a part of the class. You know, most people in this class are not ex-convicts who've, you know, been at Sing Sing for 20 years and, you know, hardened criminals. You know, you're just generally regular college students, most people in this class, right? Anybody been in Sing Sing for 20 years? All right, so this guy was coming to be a part of the class. This guy, his past, he used to keep idols in his home. He had idols in his home. He, he uh, 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 was a rapist, and he was a murderer. 
And I knew he was coming to the class. And I'm thinking, well, what should I tell the class? Should I warn the women, for example? You know, should I warn them that, you know, if this guy starts talking to you, just kind of be careful. You know, don't go out to lunch with him. Or, you know, if he talks to you and he invites you out to lunch, let me know. Just say, well, we'll just go have lunch at the tour's house, you know, someplace where there's other people around. You know, what should I say? Or should I just say, you know, God's forgiven him. Let him just move on. You know, don't, don't tell people because God's forgiven him and he, you know, he's, he's paid his debt to society. You know, what do I say? Well, let me tell you the name of this guy. I'll tell you his name. His name was David. His name was David, the son of Jesse. If you look in the scriptures, it says David in the Bible, had an idol in his home. The idol was a human-sized idol, so big that his wife was able to put the idol in the bed and cover it over. And when they came to get David, they thought the idol was David, and they said, he's homesick in the bed. David was a rapist, and David was a murderer. That is King David. Okay, so the guy I'm talking about is King David. All right? Yeah, you get it? King David in the Bible. David was an idol worshiper, a rapist, and a murderer. And we think, oh, David, you know, he's man after God's own heart. We don't realize the magnitude of that man's sin. And God says, David is a man after my own heart. And if you look at where the man had been, what he had done in his life, you think, God, let, let me tell you what David did. Maybe you don't know. You really shouldn't be that excited about the guy. He's really not that nice of a guy. But that's who David was. If God picks up David and says, let's walk together, you're a man of my own heart, after my own heart, what is he going to do for us? What is he going to do for us? There's this longing of Jesus to be with us. Who did Jesus appear first to when he rose from the dead? Who did Jesus first appear to? Mary. Mary. Jesus first appeared to Mary. Now let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And He appeared, for, he appeared to Cephas, and then to the Twelve. So He is documenting who He appeared to. He appeared first to Cephas. Cephas is the other name of Peter. He appeared first to Peter, and then to the Twelve. It says that He appeared to Peter, then to the Twelve. Then He appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. So Paul is writing this. Paul says he appeared to Peter. Why doesn't he mention that he first appeared to the women before he ever appeared to Peter? Because he's giving a legal defense for the truth of the gospel. And a woman's testimony meant nothing in that day. A woman could not testify in court. It didn't mean anything in that day. You said, well, I, I just don't like that. Well, too bad. That's just the way it was. All right? It's a different time now. A woman's testimony means something in court. All right? It's a different day. But back then, it meant nothing. 
And so when he's giving a legal account for who saw Jesus, he is talking about the men because those are the only ones whose, whose word meant anything in that day. So of all the men that he appeared to, who did he appear to first? Peter. Peter. He appears first to Peter. Of all the apostles, the first one to Peter. Why? Because Peter probably needed it. He appears first to Peter. He tells the angel, get the disciples and Peter. And he appears first to Peter of all the men. And Jesus gives us what we need. His love is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. And this is what He does. He just calls us in. You will go through times in your life, and not just one time, when you will stumble badly. And you will feel this this lack of self-worth. And you feel like, how can I even be a Christian? I'm such a hypocrite. Well, welcome to the world of Christianity. This is what it's like. This is, who, this is who he's called. This is what, what he says that he'd like to call. He says in verse 26 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, For consider your calling, brethren, there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things that are strong. And He's chosen the base things of the world and the despised. God has chosen the things that are not, that He might nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. God has chosen the weak people of the world to shame the wise. You want to know why you're a believer and not the other guy? Because you're weaker. That's what it says. God has specifically chosen the weak of the world. It's not that He hasn't chosen any strong. It says that, it says that there were not many wise, not according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. So in other words, most believers... God has called because of their weakness. Because He wants to take the weak things of the world and confound the wise. So in case you ever start feeling really really heady and, you know, God really got something good in me, just remember, He's chosen from the basement, the base things of the world to confound the wise. This is why He's chosen us, the weak things of the world. And when I look at young people and I see insecurities and all these things, I'm like, God, this is perfect. Look at all these insecurities and these feelings, this lack of self-worth and, and, and inability to speak and inability to look at people in the face and talk. This is perfect. God has chosen specifically this one. And then what He has to do when He chooses the mighty and the noble, He has to break them down a bit before they're useful for His service. This is what God does. This is what He's in the business of. Okay, let's turn back to Matthew, Matthew chapter 26. What we're going to do is we're going to look at the trial of Jesus. And, and uh, um, I'm going to, going to read to you some things about, about what, what was going on here. Jesus underwent six trials. You say, six trials? I thought he had one trial. No, he had six trials. Three Jewish trials, three Roman trials. And we're going to go through every one of these over the next couple of weeks. We're going to go through every one of these trials. If you ever, ever think that you have been treated 
unfairly. Just go back to this. None of us will ever be treated as unfairly as this man was treated. None of us will ever be as, as treated as unfairly as this man. None of us will go through what this man did at the hands of people. You know, we, we have one little thing said against us wrongly. And we're like, oh, we just have a hissy fit. I mean, Jesus was constantly spoken of wrongly, lied about, and, and, and all these things said about him and treated and mistreated. In Deuteronomy, you don't have to turn there, chapter 16, verse 18 through 20, it talks about anytime there's a community of people, this is, it, you, you can actually, it was, and it was on the basis of this verse, if there were 120 families, this is what the Jews came up with on the basis of that verse, in, in, though it didn't say 120 families, but 120 families, they would raise up a synagogue in that locality. And they would set up a legal system. And that legal system was comprised of 23 judges, 23 men. It had to have 23 men. That was called the Sanhedrin. But in Jerusalem, there was the great Sanhedrin. It didn't just have 23, it had 71 men in Jerusalem. It was the great Sanhedrin, and Jesus was tried before the great Sanhedrin. The great Sanhedrin, you didn't have to have all 71 men in order to have a trial. You only had to, ha- you had, to have a minimum of 23 of the 71. In the great Sanhedrin, 23 were priests, 23 were scribes, 23 were elders. And then there were two presiding officers, which makes 71. The, the high priest was one of the 71. Uh, you, members were appointed for life, and you needed to have a quorum of 23. Uh, you had to have a majority of one vote, just a majority of one vote for acquittal, but you had to have a majority of two votes for conviction. So they always biased it on the side of the accused. Much, much like our legal system in many ways. Uh, this is, there were 23 of their own laws. 23 of their own laws. And, and I've read several accounts of this, and the numbers vary a little bit. But I think the most credible uh, uh, thing that I've read on this, there were 23 laws broken of their own Mishnaic laws. So they were, he was tried according to the Mishnaic laws, the laws of those days. And uh, uh, the Mishnaic were the Pharisaic laws. These were the laws of, of, of observance that actually they wanted Jesus to comply with. And remember, he wouldn't. He would only comply with the things, the 613 commandments in the Word of God. He wouldn't go by the Mishnaic law, but they are now trying him by the Mishnaic law. So they should be bound by the Mishnaic law by which they're trying him. Well, let me read for you the 23 laws that they break. And these are from the Sanhedrin tractate in the Mishnah. Number one, no arrest could be effected by a bribe. And that comes from Exodus 23.8. We already know that was wrong because we already covered the arrest and it was because of a bribe there was an arrest. Number two, no step of criminal proceedings could occur after sunset so that there was no chance for conspiracy by night. Number three, the Sanhedrin members who are the judges could not participate in the arrest so as to remain unbiased. We know that that was already violated by when we read in the arrest. Number four, no trial could occur before the morning sacrifice, which occurred at 9 a.m. No secret trial, only public trials could could take place. No secret trials were allowed to avoid conspiracy. Number six, trials could only take place in the hall of judgment in the temple compound. The public had to know where to go since all trials were to be public. 
We know that was violated. Uh, number seven. First, a defense was given. So unlike our legal system, the Jewish system was the man would come and first a defense was given why this man could not have done any of the offenses that are brought against him. All right, so, so, so be, before the opposition speaks, uh, uh, a defense was to be given. Number eight, uh, all may argue in favor of acquittal on the Sanhedrin. But not all could argue for the conviction. The accused had to have at least one advocate among the Sanhedrin members to stand in his stead to defend his case. Number nine, two to three witnesses were needed in the case of a capital offense. And that's from Deuteronomy 19, verse 15. Two to three witnesses were needed. And in the case of a capital offense, their testimony had to agree in every detail for a capital offense. Number ten, the arrest could never, the, the arrest, uh, the accused could never testify against himself. Could never testify against himself because A, he might be suicidal and he might want to be killed, or B, he might be covering for another individual who is guilty and then taking the guilt upon himself. So the accused testimony could never be used against himself. Number 11, the high priest could never rend his garment. That's from Leviticus 21.10 because it's a show of emotion and it would so sway the judges. Number 12, the charges could not originate with the judges. They could only investigate charges brought to them. Judges could not initiate charges, only investigate charges that were brought to them. Number 13, the accusation of blasphemy was only valid if God's name was stated and God's name to them was our letters YHVH, Yahweh. And unless his name was stated, there could never be a charge of blasphemy. Number 14, uh, uh, a person could not be condemned based upon his own words alone. All right? And that goes back up with number 10 that we had mentioned. But based on his own words, he could not be condemned. Number 15, the verdict could not be announced at night, only in the daytime to avoid a rush to judgment. Even if the verdict is known, it could not be announced. Because they, they, it's written that, that people might be tired after a long trial and want to get it over with. But this gives them the night to just cool off and, and uh, uh, you, you know, it's Monday night, Monday night football, you're in a rush to get, get home or whatever. And so you, they would always wait till the next day. They had to do that. Number 16, in case of capital punishment, the trial and guilty verdict must be separated by 24 hours to permit more evidence to come in. So, if there was a capital trial, before they could pronounce guilt, you had to wait 24 hours because more information might come in in favor of the accused. Number 17, voting for death had to be by individual, not group count, beginning with the youngest so as not to be influenced by the elders. By the elders. So, the youngest person would say, I believe he's innocent or I believe he's guilty. And they'd go and they'd count from the youngest to the oldest. So the youngest weren't influenced. And you see, you know, th these are pretty good rules. Number 18, a unanimous decision for guilt shows innocence since 23 to 71 men could never fully agree on anything without plotting or corruption. I mean, this is a great rule. And it's not just 23 Jews could never agree. You take 23 faculty members could never agree on anything, 100%. Never, without there being collusion. So if everyone was in favor of guilt, it would immediately argue innocence. Because they, they felt that the entire group could never feel that a person was guilty without there being collusion. 
Number 19, the sentence can, be pronou- can only be pronounced three days after the guilty verdict. So once he's pronounced guilty, you had to wait three days before the sentence is pronounced to allow more information to come in that might come in against the accused. Number 20, the judges were to remain kind. 21, the person condemned to death was not to be beaten or scourged before he was killed. Number 22, no trial could be held on a feast day. And number 23, there could be no blows laid upon the guilty. A punch, according to their law, if you you punch somebody in that day, you were guilty of four days' wages. Four denarius had to be paid. Four four days' wages of a labor. If you slapped somebody, which is considered a greater offense, more humiliation than a slap than a punch, because, you know, when men fight, they... You know, they, you know, they just lose their temper and they punch somebody. So, so the four days. But when you slap somebody, you were guilty of 200 denarii, 200 days wage. If you spit in somebody's face, it was 400 denarii, 400 days wages if you were to spit in somebody's face. All of the rules I just read you were violated. There are thousands of laws, but these are the ones that are cited as direct violations that took place during his trials. All right, the first trial that took place was the trial before Annas. Look in, in uh, uh, John chapter 18. John chapter 18, reading from verse 12. Now let me tell you who, who Annas is. Annas is, is you know, so, some people say, oh look, the Bible's wrong because it says Annas the high priest and here it says Caiaphas the high priest. The Bible's not wrong. Annas was the high priest previously. Annas was deposed from his priesthood by the Romans. Usually priesthood was a lifelong appointment, high priesthood. But he was taken out of the priesthood because the Romans considered him too mean. He had had convicted and had killed like seven people. And the Romans said, this guy is too bloody. I mean, for the Romans to say a guy is too bloody, he had to really be pretty bloody. So Annas was taken out of the position and he was followed in succession by four of his sons in the priesthood. And then after his four sons served, then his son-in-law Caiaphas served. And now, at this time, Caiaphas was serving as high priest. He was installed by Rome. So many Jews still regarded Annas as the high priest, even though the Romans said he can't be. But Annas was in his 80s by this time, and he controlled the family, and the family was very rich. Annas controlled all of the business of selling animals in the temple for the sacrifices. And remember, Jesus came in and overturned the temples twice. Once in his early ministry, once in his latter ministry. So Annas already had a case against him. Annas' family ran that thing. So what would happen, and I've read about this, is people would bring in their sacrifice and the priest would look at it and say, no, 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 it's not a perfect sacrifice. You know, see, there's this little blemish on this animal. You've got to go and buy one. And so they'd, they'd have to go and buy one, and in the midst of that, they'd have to sell the one they had. And then they'd take the one that was sold that they had marked as having blemish, and they'd say, this is a good one, and they'd resell it as a good one. So there's really quite a racket going on. So this is who Annas was. Caiaphas was his son-in-law. So Caiaphas was the fifth to serve after him. And then after Caiaphas actually was, was Annas' grandson served as high priest. So this was a, a very important family. So Annas, is, is, he's brought first before Annas, who's not official high priest, but in the Jews' eyes is high priest. In verse, tw- in, in verse 12 of John 18. So the Roman cohort and the commanders of the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him and led, it, led him to Annas first. That's how we know this is the first trial. He was led to Annas first. 
For he was father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Now Caiaphas was the one who advised the Jews that it was expedient for one man to die on behalf of the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so, another, and, and so was another disciple. Now the disciple was known to the high priest and entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest, but Peter was standing at the door outside, so the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. And we had talked about this last week, how John's family, this is why he's referring it to it as the other disciple, because that's how they wrote themselves in, knew the high priest's family. That's how he knew Malchus's name, the high priest's slave. He knew him by name, the guy who got his ear cut off. And he, Peter's not allowed in. John, who they knew, they allowed into this courtyard. And he sees that Peter's not allowed in. He turns around and he speaks to the person at the gate. He says, let the guy in. He's a friend of mine. So they let Peter in. Verse 17. Then the slave girl who kept the door said to Peter, and so then you see this denial of Peter. But uh, verse 19. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together and I spoke nothing in secret. Why do you question me? Question those who have heard and spoke and heard what I spoke to them. They know what I said. When he said this, one of the officers standing nearby struck Jesus saying, Is this the way you answer the high priest? And Jesus answered him, If I have spoken wrongly, testify of the wrong. But if rightly, why do you strike me? So Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Okay, so Annas begins to question Jesus about himself and about his disciples because, remember, Annas wants to bring in the disciples and get them in trouble too. And Jesus says, why are you questioning me? Remember, your own law says that my testimony can't even be used against me. Question the people who heard me. I always spoke publicly. Even in the temple, I spoke publicly. In the synagogues, I spoke publicly. Bring forth the charges. Bring the people. Jesus is only calling upon his own civil rights. Why are you asking me? No matter what I say. If I say, yeah, I said it, I'm guilty, you can't do anything. My testimony can't be used against me here. Just bring in the people, bring in the witnesses. So he's just calling upon his civil rights. He does, he's not being nasty. Just calling over, he says, you know, you're trying me by these laws. Here's the law. Boom. They hit the guy. Remember, they're not allowed to hit him. But they hit the guy. So this is the officer. This is not a Roman officer. This is a Jewish trial. Then they hit him and they say, this is the way you talk to high priest. And they send him, they send him then over to Caiaphas. And, the Caiaphas. and so this first trial takes place about 1 to 2 in the morning. So now he goes to Caiaphas. Caiaphas is somewhere around 2 to 3 in the morning. And then the trial of Caiaphas. Let's turn back to Matthew. And the different, the different Gospels report different trials. Some of them report some of the same trials. And, and you can get this. And, and so actually, this second trial before Caiaphas is reported in all four Gospels. But let me read the one out of Matthew. Matthew chapter 26, verse 56. Uh, reading from verse 57. Matthew 26, verse 57. Those who had seized Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were gathered together. But Peter was following at a distance in as, as far as the... Um, let me turn on down here. Uh, okay, uh, I'll pick it back up. Verse 58. But Peter was following 
him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest and entered in and sat down with the officers to see the outcome. So actually, Annas lived here, Caiaphas lived here, there was a courtyard between them. He was tried, he was tried before Annas, brought across the courtyard, tried before Caiaphas. Remember, none of this is supposed to be taking place at night. They are supposed to have no trials in these private residences. They're only supposed to have this, the trials in the Great Hall. And now he's brought before Caiaphas. In verse 59, Now the chief priests and the whole council kept trying to obtain false testimony against Jesus, so far as they might put him to death. Remember, the council's not allowed to do this. You have to have people bringing charges, and the council can only investigate the charges. So now the council, and it says, the chief priest and the whole council kept trying. Remember, he doesn't have his one advocate here. Everybody's against him. You ever feel that everybody's against you? Well, guess what? Jesus has had the same thing. They did not find any, even though many false witnesses came forward. But later on, two came forward and said, This man stated, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. The high priest stood up and said to him, Do you not answer? What is this that these men are testifying against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. Now remember, this has nothing to do with the case. There was a witness that came forward, and this witness stated something, and he's supposed to investigate this. And Jesus, it's entirely within his rights to remain silent. So he remains silent, and then the high priest adjures him to speak. He doesn't have to. Again, one law after another being broken. But there was, there was a false witness that came forward and said, This man stated, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. Uh, let's, let's see. If you go to, you can keep your finger there and go to John chapter 2. Let's see exactly what Jesus said. In John chapter 2, John chapter 2 verse 19, you'll see exactly what the words that Jesus said concerning this. John 2 19 says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. You see, that what Jesus really said is, go ahead, destroy it, in three days I'll raise it up. And he was speaking about the temple of his body. Nevertheless, the words were, destroy this temple. He never said, I will destroy it. He never said, I'm able to destroy it. He said, destroy it and I'll raise it up. And then if you look in, in uh, uh, Mark chapter 14, verse 58. Mark 14, 58. I can read that for you because i got my little markers here. We heard him say, I will destroy the temple made with hands and in three days I will build it again. Made without hands. Not even in this respect was their testimony consistent. Remember in a capital case, testimony had to be completely consistent to every detail. The first guy says in Matthew that he said, uh, 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 I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. In Mark, the false witness came forward and, and happened to say, I w that he said, Jesus said, I will destroy this temple made with hands and in three days I will build another. You see the difference? I'm able to do it. I will do it. One speaks of capability. Another speaks of intent. The intent one was a capital punishment. Even the Romans considered that they could protect their temple. They couldn't exact capital punishment. The capital punishment had to be administered by the Romans. But in this, the testimony was not consistent. 
One guy says, Jesus said, I, I will destroy the temple. The other said, he said I could. Boom. None of this testimony is valid. These were false witnesses. And so Caiaphas says, the high priest says, um, do you not answer? What are these men testifying against you? I mean, this is a rather magnanimous statement of Caiaphas's. He has no witnesses. The guy has no witnesses. And that's why he says to Jesus, he says, I adjure you by the living God, tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said, you've said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the thrones of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes, this is in Matthew chapter 26, verse 65, something he's not supposed to do, and said, he has blasphemed. What further need have we of witnesses? Again, he has no witnesses. And he is blasphemed. Remember, none of the words that he says can be used against him. And now the charge has changed to blasphemy. Before it was the charge that he was going to go against the temple. Now the charge has changed to blasphemy. But remember, blasphemy was only valid if he used the name of God. So no matter what he said, if he didn't say Yahweh, they couldn't get him for blasphemy. I mean, don't you feel sorry for Jesus? Look what they're doing to the poor guy. I mean, all he did, his life, was go around and teach people stuff. And raise up people from the dead. And heal, heal blind people and lepers. I mean, this was a good guy. If they did this to Jesus, Jesus says, how much more will they do to you? So when you feel wronged, because of your Christian faith, I encourage you to get over it quickly and not to have this pity party which we, you know, in ourselves want to go through and get past this and realize Jesus went through much more than you did. Let's pray we'll, because we'll pick this up again next week. Father, thank you so much for the Scriptures, for what you teach us and show us. Thank you, Lord, that we learn from the life of Peter that you pick people up and you raise them up when they stumble and fall and fail you. And Lord, I thank you because you went before us and you were mistreated at the hands of men. The Son of God who did only good was mistreated. And Father, I pray that you would so work in each heart here that as they go through their lives and are accused wrongly and mistreated, they would not react back like the world does but they would bear this because of the cross of Christ and keep them true to you. Father, may they never lose their faith because of attack. Lord, I commit these young people to you, asking your blessing to be upon them. In the name of Jesus, amen.